The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. As we come to you, um, when we open your word together, uh, Lord, we don't want to hang on to anything else. Lord, we don't want to trust anything else. Um, Lord, we trust you. And so, Lord, I would pray that if, if we can't pray that, if we can't sing, I surrender all, that, Lord, um, you'd move us to a place today of surrender. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for um, what you're going to do for us this morning. Uh, we, uh, we need to hear from you this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This comes from Romans chapter 8. Listen, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, you, you hear that and we sing about it and we celebrate it and we preach on it and, and, and I wonder with that rule, we would agree that is truth and that's a rule, I wonder if we believe it or if we believe that there's an exception because there's always exceptions to rules, aren't there? Always, there always are. It reminds me of the time this... Um, this uh, first sergeant, he, uh, he looks and, and turns out he's got a new private, so he calls a private into his office and he says, uh, he says, private, what's your name? And the private says, John. And he gets really angry and he said, I don't know what they're teaching you in basic nowadays, but listen, I don't want to be familiar with you, okay? I don't call anybody by their first name. When I say, what's your name? I want to hear your last name. Everybody around here is a Smith or a Baker or a Jones. You got that? And I'm just first sergeant. That's it. Nothing else. And so he says, do you understand? And he says, yes. Uh, he said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, so what's your name? And he said, uh, my name is Darling, sir. Private John Darling. And so he sat there and thought for a second. He said, all right, John, you're dismissed. And so there's, there's always, always, always an exception to the rule, always. And sometimes I think we believe that's true for God's love. And sometimes I think that even people in this room and even myself believe that we're the exception to this rule that nothing can separate us from God's love, right? And I think it's because when we think about love, love here on earth, our love, my love for you, your love for me, as much as we would like to believe it's unconditional, it's not. There are conditions. I mean, look at Romans chapter 8. Are any of those conditions that don't separate us from the love of God, would any of those conditions change your love for me or my love for you? Probably. I mean, neither height nor depth. I'm not a huge fan of height. So if you're asking me, I got to climb on top of a radio tower for you or whatever, maybe I don't love you as much as I think I do, all right? Or it says death, nor life, nor death, nor angels or demons, okay? How many of you in here would say that you love me, but if a demon showed up, if that was part of the deal, do you really love Grant because here's a demon, then maybe you'd be like, ah, okay, I'm out, right? And so we believe that like our love is conditional, so it's hard to believe that God's love is not. It's hard to believe that that rule, that God loves us and nothing can separate us from his love, it's hard to believe that there's not exceptions to that. And there are times where we believe we are the exception to that. And maybe you're sitting here today saying, I am the exception to that. And when do we feel this way? Well, it's not hard. We feel this way when we're in the wilderness, when we're in the wilderness, 
And you know, I, I am not an outdoorsman. In fact, I'm an avid indoorsman. I love the indoors, the, the great wide closed spaces of the indoors. And um, I have been to the wilderness, however. We went to, uh, we went to New Mexico and we went to an Indian reservation there. Um, and uh, now I can see why we gave that land away. It is the wilderness. And we landed in Albuquerque and then we had to drive two hours to get where we were going. And on that drive, I started to think, like, we were in nowhere land. Like, we were, there was nothing around. It was just wilderness. It was just harsh. And there's just, I mean, at some point, I started to panic. Like, what would happen if we broke down out there? I mean, I remember not having a cell phone signal, which is, might as well, like, if you have a pacemaker not working. For me, if my phone doesn't work, like, I, I'm, I'm almost, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. And so, anyway, I'm thinking, what in the world would happen? I was already picking out people in the van I would eat if we broke down, all right? Like, I was just... The wilderness is a harsh place. It's a harsh place. And, um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a place that represents for us, when we talk about being in the wilderness, it's kind of the same thing for us. It's a place of, of harshness. It's a place of confusion. It's a place of helplessness. Maybe it's a place of suffering. Maybe a place where we're suffering. Maybe a place where someone we love is suffering. Or it's a, a lonely place. It's a place where there's distance between you and other people, or maybe distance even between you and God. And we arrive in the wilderness in one of two ways. Either one, it's not our fault. It's not our choice. For example, I didn't drive that van. I got in the van, but I didn't drive that van. Someone drove me into the wilderness. But uh, maybe for you, you're following God, you're obeying God, and just like Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted, you are led by God into the wilderness. And you know, I would say that way of entering the wilderness, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit easier than the other way. It's a little bit easier because everything's going fine up until that point. You and God are good, you're faithful, you're, everything's going well, and it's obvious that God has led you here. But there's another way that we get into the wilderness, and this is probably the hardest way, and that's when we lead ourselves there. When we make poor decisions, or we neglect God, or we're not obedient to something he's calling us to do, and we end up in the, in the wilderness because we made that decision. We didn't trust him, or we took matters into our own hands, or we ignored his ways for so long that we ended up in this place. We ended up in this wilderness, and now you're here. And it's in these moments, it's in these moments where you look around and you recognize you're in a harsh place, you recognize you're in the wilderness, and everything that you see is just a reminder that you got yourself here. It's in these moments that we start to believe that we're the exception to God's love. We're the exception to the rule that nothing can separate us from God's love. It's easy to believe that at that point we've been cast off. But listen, God never throws his people away, ever. Nothing can separate us from his love, not height, nor depth, nor life, nor death, nor angels or demons, not culture, not poor decisions, not drug use, not greed, not the foolishness of others or the foolishness of yourself. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say, maybe this is why God brought you here today, because he wants to say this to you. You are not the exception. You are not the exception to God's love. You Wherever you are, wherever you came from, however you led yourself into the wilderness, however long you've been in the wilderness, you are not the exception to the rule of God's love. And so today my hope is that as we open the word together, you would know that the wilderness isn't the worst place to be. That you would know that you haven't been cast off. That you would know that God's grace is available to you in the wilderness. And that you would know that God can empower you and use you just as you are 
even there in the wilderness. And the way we're going to find that today is in the story of Moses. We're going to be looking at Moses um, together. And, you know, I, if, if we're going to talk about this, I, I probably need to back up and tell you a little bit about Moses. So we, you might know it. You might know the story of Moses. But um, so Moses is born. Pharaoh at that time, the, uh, the Israelites were growing and growing and growing in Egypt. And so he said, well, I got an idea. Um, we'll just kill the, the babies. We'll kill the baby boys. That, that'll work out. And so he went to the midwives and he said, would you just do it for me that would make it a lot easier and uh, basically uh, they said no um, they were like look I don't know we tried but the the Jewish people they just kind of they, they have babies so quick we just there's nothing we can do about it sorry about that and so he's like well that's fine I'll just kill them myself and so if they were to find a baby boy in your home uh, the soldiers would come by they look and then they would take it from you and, and they would kill your child and so that's happening while Moses is born well his parents obviously want to protect him and so they hide him for a few months well it's gotten to that point if you have a baby younger than three months you know that like they they only do a few things like they eat they sleep and then everything they eat comes out of everywhere right like that's all that babies do and and for the most part you might be able to hide them right you might be able to keep them quiet and hide them unless they're on an airplane and so once they get to three months though like that's it they start moving around and they're scooting and they're climbing on stuff and they're talking a lot more and so um so that's what happens so so Moses mom says you know we can't keep him he'll die and so she does an incredible, with an incredible act of faith, puts him in this basket, puts him in the water. Moses' sister follows the basket along the bank. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and decides, I'm going to raise this baby. Uh, Moses' sister walks up and goes, hey, you, got a, you found a baby there. That's cool. Um, do you need somebody to nurse it? Uh, you know, and kind of kind of raise it a little bit for you. And she goes, yeah, that'd be great. I, I would pay somebody to do that. And she goes, I happen to know somebody. So she goes back to Moses' mom and says, here, here's your baby back. Uh, raise him, and Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay you to do that for a little bit. Pretty cool, huh? So she gets to raise him and all of that, and then she brings him back, and Moses is raised in the palace. In Acts seven twenty two, it says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and deeds. So Moses has this great education, this great upbringing here in the palace. His mother raises him when he's, when he's small, but then he, he grows up in the palace and gets this incredible education, and he ends up leaving the palace. And why do he end up leaving the palace? Well, I think Hebrews 11 gives us an example. Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So because of faith, he trusted God that he would be with his people rather than with Pharaoh's people. And so obviously his mother had started to raise him when he was little. Surely she told him of their faith. Surely she told him of God. Surely she told him of his promises. And so Moses is growing up with that. And so he is, is Moses at this point, deciding to leave the palace, is Moses at this point headed to the wilderness? No, not necessarily. I mean, God has set him up on a trajectory to do great things. Maybe, maybe Moses even has some sort of inclination that, that God's going to use him to help deliver God's people. So he's making this decision. I'm going to leave the palace. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to go be with my people. But then a problem happens. He took matters of deliverance into his own hands. We see in Exodus chapter 2, as he goes to his own people, he sees an Egyptian uh, mistreating an Israelite, and so he murders the Egyptian. 
and he tries to hide the body and moves on. Well, everybody finds out. Pharaoh wants his life. The Israelites don't trust him because he's a murderer. And so Moses flees into the desert, and he's gone. He's out in the wilderness. He was so blessed so favored, just like we are. We're so blessed, aren't we? We have so much access to God, don't we? We have, a, like we, we have this church that we get to come to. There are teachers here. You can go out if you're like, I don't have a Bible. There's like 30 under your seats, okay? Like you can get one if you're like, I don't like the way this one reads. That's okay. There's like a million more at Lifeway. You can get on your phone right now and read the Bible, whatever translation you want. Listen to whatever Bible teachers you want. Like God is so accessible. And this is where Moses is, so accessible. God is, he's highly favored by God. God has set him up on a trajectory to do great things, and now Moses has made a decision that's led him to the wilderness. He made a mistake, a massive, massive mistake that led him to run for his life into the wilderness. What a bummer. What a letdown. What a disappointment. And maybe you're there. Maybe you know the wilderness. You know it's harsh, and it seems endless, and even like a dead end. Like everything was going great for you, and then bam, you look around and you're in the wilderness. What happened? How did I get here? And, and maybe you're not the reason. It just happened. And, but maybe you are. Maybe you know how you got here. Maybe you led yourself here. And Moses probably felt that way. I've wasted my life. God spared my life. He brought me. I was, I was able to learn about him from my mother. Then I was raised in Egypt and I'm so educated. And I had all, like I had everything. I had the world at my fingertips. And now here I am in the desert, a murderer, and, and what's God going to do with me? He's done with me. I haven't heard from him since I left the palace. But these wilderness years, I would argue, are the most important years of his life. Are, I think they're more important than the time he spent in Egypt under Pharaoh, even as a prince. And, and I would say that because, I mean, even with all of that training, without the wilderness experience, with all that training, what did he do with it? What good did he do with it? He killed somebody, Right? I would say that that 40 years in the desert, even more important than the 40 years of leading God's people. And you say, how in the world can you say that? Because without the wilderness, I don't think he could have led them. I don't think he would have led them. I think you see the weakness of the leadership of Aaron as opposed to Moses. Aaron didn't have the wilderness experience. And Aaron made a lot of big mistakes. He couldn't have led God's people without Moses. We see he, he built him a golden calf. We see that, uh, that, that he didn't meet face to face with God. He didn't have the relationship with God. It was because he didn't have the wilderness. And so what did God do for Moses in the wilderness? He's in the wilderness for 40 years. What did he do for Moses in the wilderness for 40 years? He humbled him. That's what he did. God humbled him. He brought him from a prince to being a beggar. He brought him from constantly being served, whatever he wants at his fingertips, to now being the servant. He showed him your power, it's not what you thought it was. Your influence, it's not at all what you thought it was. Your, your, uh, uh, your education, your position, your cunning, they aren't what you think they are. They're nothing out here. He brought him to nothing. And you go, why is that good? That doesn't sound good at all. Like, that doesn't sound like a happy thing at all. Well, it's not a happy, but it's good because of this. The scriptures tell us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If God hadn't humbled Moses in the wilderness, then the wilderness would have been the end of Moses' story. Do you get that? If God hadn't humbled Moses in the wilderness, then the wilderness would have been the end of his story. Moses would have gone down in history as a murderer. That's it. He murdered somebody. He's gone. He just, he disappeared. 
He murdered an Egyptian. It was this weird guy that lived in the palace for a while. And now he, we don't know. He walked in the wilderness and disappeared. But God humbled him. God has no use for the strong and the proud. And the proud and the strong, there's no room for him. There's no room for his power. And so, but in the weak though, in the weak, he's strong. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So the question we should ask ourselves, are we weak enough? Are you weak enough? One of the saddest encounters of Jesus was with the rich young ruler. This, this guy comes up to Jesus and says, what do, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and so he tells him, well, you've got to keep the commandments. And, and he goes, ah, I've done all that. I've kept all the commandments. So obviously this was a, a devout guy. This was a good guy. This wasn't a bad guy at all. He's not some murderer. He's not some, he's not some thief, right? He's not somebody who neglects the, the laws of God. He said, no, I, I'm a good guy. He's a devout guy. And then he says, sell everything that you have and come follow me. And the guy walked away. He just walked away. Now listen, the people that Jesus called to himself, he called liars. He called prostitutes. He called people who had made huge, huge mistakes. He called hotheads. He called losers. He called all these people. And this, this devout man who comes and seeks him is now walking away. And what does Jesus do? He lets him go. Why didn't he, why didn't he chase after him? Whoa, 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 okay, 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 okay. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's talk more about it, all right? Obviously, you don't understand. Come here, let's talk more about it. Why in the world? I mean, he's got all these other guys. He's got these smelly fishermen around him who are his number one guys, and he's got this really good recruit. This guy's a good guy. You want him on your team, and he just lets him walk away. Why? Because he's proud. Because he's proud. He says, I trust these other things more than I trust you. I love these other things more than I love you. And Jesus says, I I don't have time for that. I don't have room for that. If, if you're proud and you're trusting your own strength and you're not weak enough to follow me, I don't have time for that. And you know what? The sad thing about the rich young ruler, where is he in the rest of scripture? Nowhere. That's the end of his story. The end of his story is him walking into the wilderness away from God forever. That's it. And maybe, again, you got yourself to the wilderness and maybe you didn't, but the wilderness can be a grace. It doesn't have to be the end, of the end of your story. It can be a grace if you let it. Moses let it be a grace. And so how do you let it? Well, here's our first wilderness tip. Here we go. Lean into the humbling. Lean into the humbling. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Ask yourself, am I weak enough? Are you trusting in other strength? Are you, are you saying, I don't have the answers you do. I need you. I, it's not my strength. It's not my skills. It's not my abilities. I need you. Are you weak enough? An incredible example of this would be King David. King David was in a terrible wilderness of his own making at this point. He was in a horrible place. If you don't know the, the story, basically... He takes another man's wife to himself, impregnates her, calls the faithful man home from the battlefield, tries to trick him into sleeping with his wife. He won't do it because he's an honorable man. He sends him out on the battlefield and basically has him killed, like has him murdered. And at this point, Nathan the prophet has, has come to him and confronted him and told him, God knows what you did and he's going to punish you. And so your child will die. The child that you're having with Bathsheba will die. Your kingdom will be split. Your family will be split. The sword will be among your family. 
And so now David is looking around, and he is in the wilderness. This absolutely could have been the end of his story. And I have to believe that if the enemy is there in the wilderness with him, and he always is. Remember when Jesus is led into the wilderness, he's not by himself. The enemy's there. You have to believe that the enemy is saying, this is the end of your story, David. You were raised up. You were just some little shepherd boy. God killed a giant through you with a stone, and then he raised you up. Saul tried to kill you. God protected you. Now he's given you the kingdom, and you would do this to him. You would do this with his power. Your story is over. That's it. There's no more for you. What does King David do? He turns the wilderness into a grace. And look at Psalm 51. This thing is so good. I just want to read it to you. This is his response to the Lord. And in this, he, 11 times he mentions his own sin. He's humble. He doesn't talk about, here, God, here, remember all the great things that I've done for you. He never says that. He never says, God, remember all of the thousands that I conquered for you. He never says that. Remember how every time I had an opportunity to dishonor Saul, the king who was trying to kill me, I didn't do that. I was humble and I was good. I've been a good king. Now cut me some slack. He never does that. 11 times he talks about his own sin. He owns up to it. He's humble. And then 15 times he requests God's help. What's he saying? I don't have it together. And being here in this wilderness has made me realize that God, I don't have it together. I am helpless. I need you. And that's Psalm 51. Just listen to it. It's incredible. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Listen to this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be offered on your altar. Did you hear that? David gets it. And he says, I'm here. And what you want from me here in this wilderness is not to end my story. Because you could have done that already. You could have put an end to me already, but you didn't. What you want from me here in this wilderness is humility. You want me to be broken. And that's exactly what he wants. So don't let the wilderness be the end of your story. Lean into the humbling process. Admit your helplessness. Abandon your way, sinful or not, and beg for his strength and wait. You know, God stripped everything away from Moses, everything. And it took a while to humble him. 40 years. It took 40 years 
He was in the wilderness 40 years. And the wilderness might take a while for you as well. But look, look at Exodus 3. Look at verse 1. I think we have it up here. 1 through 2 and verse 6. Check it out. After 40 years, then God gave him, uh, I'm sorry, well, yep, then God gave him, now Moses, wait, wait, okay, we messed that up. All right, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed, verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses humbled himself in the desert. He didn't let the desert or the wilderness end his story. He humbled himself. He knew his position didn't matter. He knew his skills weren't important. He knew his knowledge wasn't the greatest. His name now meant nothing. He was humbled. And what did God do? And God gave him a vision of himself. He was humbled. He participated in that process as painful as it was, and God gave him a vision of himself. Isn't that incredible? For those who humble themselves in the desert, God has a vision of himself for you. In other words, God will always show up for the humble. God will always show up for the humble. Even in the wilderness, God will always show up for the humble. First Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If you humble yourself under God's hand, it only ends one way. He lifts you up. That's it. If you humble yourself under God's hand, there is no other alternate route here, all right? This is not a choose your own adventure. If you humble yourself in the middle of the wilderness, God will show up. That's what he does. He can't resist the humble. That's what he's telling us here. When Moses was in, was in Egypt and he's in the palace and he's at the top of the top, right? He's, he's so powerful and all these other things. Where was God? Did he have a vision of God? No, God didn't show up there. When Moses is in the wilderness and he's been stripped away of everything and he's, he's just a murderer on the run, he's just somebody who no longer has a name that means anything, he's just a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years, God shows up. God can't resist the humble. So the first thing is lean into humbling. Here's your second wilderness tip. Look for him. Look for him. If you're in the wilderness, stay humble and keep your eyes open. He always shows up. For the humble seekers. Even in the wilderness, he always shows up. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's the qualification. How will we find God? Well, when you, when you clean yourself up, when you figure it out, when you get out of the wilderness. Now, what does it say? You'll find me. Regardless of where you are, you will find me if you're looking for me with all your heart. If you're looking for me, if you're focused on me, I think a great example of this, of God always showing up for the humble seekers in the wilderness, a great example of this are the thieves on the cross. So Jesus is crucified between two thieves. These thieves are absolutely in a wilderness of their own making. They've made some terrible decisions, and now they're paying for it with their lives. One of the thieves in that moment He's not looking for God. He's not humbling himself in that wilderness experience. Instead, he's doubling down. He's arrogant and he's proud and he's gonna go out that way and he starts to mock Jesus arrogantly and proud. But the other one, he's in that wilderness of his own making and he humbles himself 
and he looks for God. He looks to that cross and he sees Jesus and he looks for God. You know what happened? He wasn't rejected. God showed up. He met God hanging from a cross. I don't know what your wilderness looks like. I don't know where you are or how difficult it is. This guy had made a wilderness for himself that ended with him hanging on a cross and dying and he met God there. You can too. Because the reality is God can't resist the humble. And if you humble yourself, he will show up. He will lift you up. Wherever you are, whatever wilderness you're in, if you're on a cross of your own making, he will show up. God can't resist the humble. And the enemy doesn't want you to believe that. The enemy is whispering to these thieves, especially the one who rejects, listen to me, this is it, this is the end of your story, that's it, and you know what, actually, you're a victim here, everybody else has got it wrong, and we start to believe that, we start to go, oh, woe is me, and all these other things, but no, reject that, say, this is not the end of my story, humble yourself under God's hand, and he will show up, he will lift you up, there's no alternative, God can't resist the humble, so look for him. Look for him in the wilderness. Lean into the humbling and look for God. So Moses is humbled after 40 years. God shows up. And not only does he show up, but he calls him. He says, I got, a, I got work for you to do. Get up. Let's go back to Egypt. You got to go get my people. Go tell Pharaoh to let everybody out. He gives him a job. What's Moses' response? Anybody remember? Anybody remember his response? Well, he gives him a bunch of excuses, right? And then ultimately, what does he tell him? Send someone else. Please just send someone else. Thanks for meeting me. The bush is really cool. Please send somebody else. Why do you respond that way? Because Moses had nothing to offer God. He brought nothing to the table. He's a murderous shepherd in the middle of the wilderness that he's been in for 40 years. He's got nothing to bring to the table. Nothing. And maybe you feel the same way. What can I bring to the table to serve God? I've either been in this wilderness so long or, or I was in the wilderness for so long. I've got nothing. All I've got is brokenness. I'm inadequate. My skills are inadequate. My talents, my experience, my influence, it's all inadequate. What in the world could God do with me? So God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and Moses feels like, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer you. So look at Exodus 4.2. Then the Lord said to him, what? What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. I, a stick. Moses, go call my people out. Go stand before Pharaoh. Remember him? Yeah, he wants you dead still. Go stand before him and you tell him as a shepherd, hey, look, it's time to just destroy your economy and set all these people free. Are we good? Are we good with that? Do that. And what do you have? I got a stick. Bring your stick, right? And we think like that's so silly, a stick, I got a staff, I got a rod here, I've got a shepherd's staff, I've just got a big stick. Is it? What did God do with that? He throws a stick down in front of Pharaoh and it becomes a serpent. 
He displays God's power through that stick. He takes the same stick. He strikes the dust and turns it into lice. He takes the same stick and calls in an east wind filled with locusts. He takes the same stick. He sticks it into the Nile and turns water into blood. He takes the same stick and he points it into the heaven and hail and fire come down in response. He takes the same stick and he separates the Red Sea, which allows people to safely cross and to escape the Egyptians who are pursuing suing them. He takes the same stick and makes water come out of a rock in the middle of the wilderness. He takes the same stick and raises it above his head so that God's people can win their first battle. It's just a stick. It's just a stick. That's all I've got. God, I've got nothing to offer you. Well, here's your third wilderness tip. Lend to him what's in your hand. Because the humble person who's seen God You have everything you need to be used in a powerful way for his purposes. You have everything you need. Do you know why? Because it doesn't matter what's in your hand. It matters that you are in his hand. It didn't matter what Moses had in his hand. Moses, after 40 years, has been humbled, and now he sees God. So guess what? Moses, you're, you're in exactly where you need to be because now you're in my hand. So what do you got? You got a stick? That's enough. And you look throughout the scriptures and you see that. Hey, Gideon, I want you to go to feed 135,000 people. What you got? I got 300 men. We got trumpets and torches. That's enough. We look at Mary and we say, Mary, I want you to to honor Jesus here. What have you got? All I've got is this oil. Everybody else has got. Fine. Go anoint him. That's going to be enough. And what is Matthew 26, 13? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. The disciples, what's in your hands? I don't know, we got two fish, five loaves. That's enough. I'll feed 15,000 with that. Peter, what's in your hand? You got any training or anything? I got nothing. That's fine. That's enough. Go out and tell these people about me. And 3,000 people were saved that day. Widow, what's in your hands? Just two little mites. It's nothing. I can't even buy anything with it. That's enough. You give that to me and I will use you an example of generosity for the rest of time. So what's in your hand? Nothing is just a stick in the hand of somebody who's in the hand of God. Nothing. Nothing is just a stick. It's not just a story in your hand anymore. You're now in the hand of God. As a humble person who has seen God, you're now in the hand of God. You say, well, all I have is a little bit of time. That's enough. Go disciple someone. Well, all I have is this little bit of money. That's enough. Go be a blessing to somebody. All I have is my story. That's enough. Go encourage somebody. All I have is my brokenness. That's enough. Go love somebody. It's not just a stick. It's not just whatever it is in your hand because now those who are humble and have seen a vision of God, who God is lifted up in the wilderness, you are now in the hands of the Almighty God. With God, it's enough. It's always enough. We don't have an excuse. We don't have anything to tell us different. There's this uh, professor, well, he passed away a few years ago, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. He made a huge impact worldwide, an incredible theologian. He wrote a great book called Living by the Book, The Art and Science of Reading the Bible. I highly recommend it. He's fantastic. Um, well, you know, he didn't, he wasn't set on that trajectory from a young age. In fact, he was raised in a broken home. And so his grandmother actually did most of the raising. And he spent most of his time just hanging out on the streets in Philadelphia. 
And as he's out there, he's looking for his grandfather half the time, who's always drunk um, in the tavern. And so while out there, there's a man named Walt who sees him and his friends. And Walt happens to be a Sunday school teacher, and he, he invites the boys to his Sunday school class. Well, they have zero interest in doing that. So he begins to hang out with them. And they start to, the boys like to play marbles, and so uh, Walt plays marbles with them, and he spends time with them. And eventually, these 13 boys end up coming to his Sunday school class. There were, uh, all of them were off the streets. Nine of them came from broken homes. Uh, five of them were, uh, came from a Roman Catholic background, and um, eventually, all of these boys, they, they stayed with him through Sunday school. Um, all of them followed the Lord. Eleven of the thirteen entered into some sort of vocational ministry. They became pastors, missionaries, seminary professors. And of course, that's, uh, of course, that's where Howard Hendricks came from. And we see the huge impact of those boys on the rest of the world, this eternal impact. Do you know who Walt was? Well, he had a, a doctorate in theology, and he had a master's in social work with a specialty working with kids. No, he didn't have any of that. In fact, all he had was a high school education. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't paid church staff. He was just a volunteer. God looked at him, and he said, what's in your hand? Compassion, I get, I, I mean, I love these, these boys. That's enough. That's enough. And so he says the same thing to you. Will you humble yourself in the wilderness? Allow it to be a place of grace. Will you humble yourself in the wilderness and look for him? Because if you will, he'll say the same thing he said to Moses and to Gideon and to Mary and to this man, Walt. He'll say the same thing to you. What's in your hand? And your answer, whatever it is, he'll respond, he'll respond the same. It's enough. It's enough. God will do great, great things. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are in the wilderness today. God, they came in here um, in a difficult spot. And maybe they're in the wilderness uh, because you led them there. God, I pray for your peace. I pray for your comfort. I pray that you would uh, do the great work you promised to do, which is to strengthen their faith, to make them, uh, to make them um, uh, endure better than they ever have before, to make their trust in you deeper than it ever was before. Please continue to do a great work for them. Lord, I also especially want to pray for those who've, who are in a wilderness of their own making. They've led themselves there, just like Moses. And Lord, I know the whispers, because I've heard them myself, that this is the end of their story. You deserve this. This is it. You've been forgotten, and this is where you'll stay. God, may they hear the truth tonight, that they are not the exception to your love. You love them. And may they hear the truth, that you haven't cast them aside. Instead, this wilderness doesn't have to be the end of their story. In fact, it can be the beginning. It can be the grace that they needed. So God, would they lean into the humbling? Would they humble themselves? Just like King David in Psalm 51, would they humble themselves crying out to you, I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. My way doesn't work. God, I need you. Help me. May they humble themselves. And God, may they be encouraged when they see you, when you show up like you promise you will. And God, also, may we not walk out of the wilderness feeling 
useless. May we not walk out of the wilderness um, gun-shy of getting into the work of the kingdom. Instead, may we walk out of the wilderness knowing that it doesn't matter what's in our hands. That God, you, the God of the universe, take humble people and you put them in your hands and you do great, great things. So God, may we just be obedient. May we just continue to humbly trust you and look for you and let you do incredible works that we can't even imagine. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.